What's up, everyone? Welcome to the uh, the first kind of interview that we're going to do. Um, we we've been kind of as a brief kind of history. We've been doing a podcast. We got to you know ninety seven or ninety eight podcasts, uh, and we're kind of taking a little bit break of that. And what everyone always kind of liked um, on the site is interviews. And I didn't really do many uh, kind of voice interviews. Um, I usually just did written ones. So I decided to do kind of a podcasty interview. And so I'm going to first guess he, uh, you just released wave the passive fist on PS4, Xbox one and PC and, uh, Jason. Hey man, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah. And thank you for being the kind of inaugural, uh, the first person, the Guinea pig, if you will. Hey, I appreciate being asked. This is awesome. <laughs> uh, so maybe before we kind of dive in, um, why don't you just kind of introduce yourself a little bit, uh, just kind of explain who you are, maybe household games, Wave the Pacifist, brief kind of, we'll talk about it deeper, obviously, but just a quick pitch on it, and then maybe just, uh, we'll just kind of go through your history as a game developer. So first off, um, what what, uh, what what do you do at uh, household games? Certainly. So yeah, I'm Jason Canham, founder and director of Household Games. Um, so Household Games is a independent developer located in Toronto, so myself, um, I'm the founder, CEO of the company. I don't really use the term CEO because it's a small, you know, it's a little indie dev. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, part of that is, um, you know, we have a small team of multi-talented people. So people have asked me what I do on the team. And I was like, I do a little bit of art. I do a little bit of code. I do the design. Um, and, of course, on the business side of things, I do biz dev, do marketing, do promotional. Mm -hmm. So really is that kind of many hats, just like you said, for indie dev. Mm -hmm. And um, so uh, how many people are at um, Household? So Household Games is a core team of three. Yep. That's uh, three founders and three co-owners of the company. And then with our projects, like on Way of the Pacifist, we had as many as nine people working on that project. Perfect. And then uh, maybe we'll just kind of start with, you know, how long have you kind of been in the game developing scene? Uh, and maybe, I'd like, you came from Drinkbox Studios. Maybe there was something before that I don't know about. But I, I know that you came from Drinkbox Studios. But maybe, like, let's just start with uh, how long have you kind of been doing game development sort of work? Yeah, sure. So I've been uh, developing games since 2007. So I've been doing this for 11 years. Um, I got my start developing mobile games, went through making mobile games, casual games, into console games, then into indie games. Uh, so kind of been all over. And luckily, you know, the, the Toronto game development scene is diverse enough, both in its talent pool, both in its members, as well as the type of games that get made in the city. So I've had the opportunity of working with a lot of different teams on a lot of different types of games, you know, small six-month games to multi-year console releases. Mm -hmm. And yeah, um, just kind of went back and forth. Didn't really find kind of really what I wanted to do specifically. I didn't really get my passion until I was fortunate enough to work with the Drinkbox team. Uh, joined those guys at the end of 2012. So was, so, that, was that before? That was after uh, the Blobs games, I'm guessing. Yes, right? yes. So, was it um, after Gu Guacamelee or? So it was during the production of Guacamelee. Okay. So I came in on the tail end of Guacamelee to help with level design. Um, kind of speaks to like my background. People always ask me, like, how do I get my start in game dev? And I used to have a blog. I haven't updated it in a while. I've been meaning to get back to it. But my blog was called I Heart Level Editors uh, because before I was a professional game dev, I loved level editors. And that goes back to the 80s when I first played Commodore 64 games that let you build your own maps with games like Load Runner. Uh, and Wizard. And then in the 90s, it was building Doom Wads and Duke Nukem 3D maps. Mm -hmm. And then in the early 2000s, I built uh, a Super Mario World ROM hack. So I've always enjoyed using level editors to like build my own levels. And being able to join the Guacamelee team on level design, like kind of when they had, they already had a game kind of in mind. They knew the game they were making. And uh, I was there, there to kind of assist with some of the level design in the later parts of the game. Uh, and then with the second re-release, the Super Turbo Championship Edition, I got to have much more of a hands-on role with designing from the ground up the new areas that were in that game. Oh, nice. Uh, which was super exciting um, to do. And yeah, yeah, and like working with that team and working on an indie console game was like, yeah, this is this is it. This is where I've been... This is what I've been searching for all these years, and this is kind of where I belong. So I knew from that point on, like, indie dev was really for me. And then, 
so if, for people who might not know about the site, although I tell the story all the time, uh, it's because of Guacamelee that I started TorontoGameDesk.com. Um, because I played that game, loved it, uh, got the platinum on Vita, and nice. then I was just talking with my friend on on the TTC, and I I forget how I found out that Guacamelee or that Drinkbox Studios was in Toronto, but I found out some way or the other, uh, and I just started I just asked the question that kind of opened up this whole door of of how I wonder how many other developers are in Toronto, and so I always kind of just like. Half jokingly, but half serious, like always, kind of mentioned it's Guacamelee's fault that you know TorontoGameDesk.com exists and that we're even talking in the first place. So uh, that's amazing. So uh, it just comes full circle that it was, this is all because of you, anyways. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Well, I mean, that's because of those guys, and I mean, Drinkbox are one of the leaders, you know, of the independent Toronto scene. They're definitely like they're definitely one of the leaders, and if not the like the yeah. For they're, sure, they're I, the best. I always, I always say because a lot of people ask me just to kind of describe the Toronto gaming scene, and it's funny because my, uh, in Montreal, there's like Ubisoft, and there's kind of some bigger like the Ubisoft main studio is there, um, mm-hmm. and Vancouver has like an EA studio working on the the NHL games and stuff like that. Like it seemed those Vancouver and Montreal seem to be more AAA. Uh, they certainly have their indie focus, but there seems to be a bigger AAA there than there is here. Like here, there's only really Ubisoft and there is like a Rockstar that seems to be quiet. I feel like they just work on like GTA DLC or something. Um, yeah, they're a bit secretive. And yeah, and that's just because BC and Quebec as provinces were just much more ahead of the curve mm-hmm. with their like tax breaks and incentives. Yeah. And Ontario kind of, eventually caught up to that actually about i think it was about 10 years ago wasn't it when the ubisoft studio opened maybe nine ten years ago ubisoft toronto yeah. i think so yeah because because yeah. uh, splinter cell blacklist was their first game and that was a that was like a 2012 game yeah so it's it's certainly been a while and so what i usually when i say like oh toronto has certainly an, a triple a studio in ubisoft but it's really like a very indie focus, but then within the indies, you know, there is kind of a, a hierarchy. Like Drinkbox Studios is certainly at the top. There's Capybara Games that's very yep. well known as well, and then there's you know the kind of the, I don't want to say like smaller tier, medium tier, what have you, but like Thirteen Name Games has Runbo that they've ported successfully across a lot of different places, and then of course there's like all the student games and stuff like that. So there is kind there of is. like a level, but drink yeah for sure Drinkbox and Capybara come to mind as like the top kind of indie games in, in Toronto. They do. Um, other leaders in the space that come to my mind, um, I mean, going back old school, like pioneers, you've got MetaNet. Oh, yeah, for N++, sure. N++, yep. N++, they're, they're, like I said, they're they're longtime leaders. Um, MetaNet, uh, Queasy that, games. that blew my mind that they were in Toronto because I played N, just like a lot of people, I played N on, like, a, you know, E-Bombs World and, and whatnot. Yeah, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, they're pioneers. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, like one of my favorite things, like my favorite thing to do when I'm on podcasts or when I'm traveling um, is for anyone, usually when I'm talking with other devs, everyone knows Toronto has an amazing scene, but usually if I'm speaking with press that don't really know Toronto, especially if I'm doing something for like local news or something, mm-hmm. yeah, can always just tell them like, do you know how many games get made in Toronto? And if they know even a little bit about like indie gaming, can name off a ton of games, Lovers in Dangerous Space Time, Home, Alone with You, Rogue Legacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they immediately come to mind. They bleed pixels. There's just there's so many developers in Toronto. And I I feel like back in the day, like the the Ontario developer that I knew, uh, that the only really the only one that I knew was Silicon Knights um, in St. Mm-hmm. Catharines or maybe in Niagara Falls. I can't remember. Yeah, St. Catharines. Uh, and they're no longer around, but obviously their kind of DNA is is. Uh, sort of still within that area amongst like, you know, um, Lost Orbit was released uh, a few years ago and, and that team is kind of made up of some Silicon Knight vets and whatnot. So Ontario has kind of been there, but yeah, I guess you're right where it's like Montreal and, Van- uh, and British Columbia were kind of a little bit more ahead when it comes to the catering to kind of these independent studios to release games and, and giving all the benefits uh, to these studios in order to like release the product. But now like with the OMDC, is that it? Uh Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's, yeah, I, I feel like I see that on every single game I play. Yeah. It, it's a great program. There's many other programs as well. Uh, they're great initiatives for, um, you know, for these emerging studios such as ours. Mm. Um, yeah. And like I said, those programs have finally caught up to, to the, to what a few other provinces have been doing for a little bit longer. <laughs> and now that they have, you know, it's just caused the scene to flourish even more. And so, 
So you're at uh, you're at Drinkbox Studios, and did you work on Severed before? Yeah, I did. I yeah. was fortunate to work on Severed. Just just when Severed wrapped uh, was when I left. I feel, yeah, I feel like I was trying to think of the timeline in my head. I feel like uh, I remember you kind of messaging me that that was happening and whatnot, and that Severed had just come out. So so I'm assuming you kind of knew about Drink uh, Guacamole Two at the time, but maybe you didn't like work on it. Was Severed kind of your last Drinkbox Studios game? Absolutely. Yeah. So. For me, uh, Guacamelee 2 is is doubly exciting because I actually am really – and I, I've actually I, – I like – we were just at the PlayStation Experience Expo last December. Right, yes. Uh, we had a booth and Drinkbox, like just a few booths down from us, was showing off Guacamelee and went to go say hi to the guys, but I didn't want to play. I'm like, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait for the release, and I'm so excited to jump in. I want to see how quickly I can platinum it. <laughs> I'll race you. Um, um, you got it. You got it. Because uh, I remember at the tail end of of uh, the release of Guacamelee, um, you know, before we would ship it, we would want to make sure the platinum trophy worked. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there were at the time because only two, like you know, many guys were used to playing the game, but me and the lead QA were the only two who could like do it in one workday, like from a new save file, beat the game on normal, then beat the game on hard, find everything in the game and get a hundred percent and get a platinum in one day like <laughs> one work day wasn't there uh, uh i feel like i didn't play it twice though i feel like there was a little hack you can do to to get to unlock hard mode right away was there not or they did I... eventually add that yeah you could do a code to unlock hard so you only oh, needed okay. one playthrough oh uh, i see i see yeah and actually um, one of one of my kind of i don't want to say bucket list but like one of the thing one of the games in my to-do list is guacamelee super super turbo championship edition i've played it i've beaten it but i don't have the platinum yet because you guys changed up the trophies in that one a little bit Yes, and you've got to go through some extra hoops because you've got to clear El Diablo's domain, which um, I did. I say I did, but of course a team effort. Um, (laughs) I only handled level design for it, obviously. Yeah. You know, there's many elements to its presentation and to how it's done. For sure. Um, sure. But yeah, you've you've got to to do the full gauntlet of Diablo's domain, and you've got two more huge maps. The two (laughs) levels that were added to the game are the two biggest levels in the game. I think I... I'm trying to remember. It's been a while since I, I played it on uh, the last time I played it was like an extra life two years ago, mm-hmm. and I wanted to platinum it then, and I forget. I think I forget what happened. I think I just got to a really difficult part, and I was in line for a 24 hour like gaming session, and yep. it was just I was like I can't get frustrated like trying to get a trophy like this early into the 24 hour marathon. I gotta I gotta like stretch this out a little bit, and I just have never, I haven't had the chance to go back. So I, I platinum severed, I platinum the game before, um, and I actually just played. Uh, I, I confused the two Blobs games, but I just played the the very first one, not too oh, long yes. ago. Um, and so, and I, I'm and kind of like you, I'm super excited for Rockamelee too. Like, I it's hard for me to go on media blackout because I gotta, you know, I feel like I want to write about the game and whatnot when yeah, yeah. come up, but. There's certain games when they come out, Zelda is one of them, that I just go on media blackout and Guacamelee 2 being one of my most anticipated games. Like, I, I can't wait for it. So, Awesome. I A trophy I wanted to add into the game but obviously didn't make the cut. I have a video on my YouTube channel. I wanted to do one. So you know the cave arenas? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You drop down 10 times? Yep. Uh, beating that in entirely one combo. One unbroken combo for all 10 arenas. Uh, and I have a video... I have a video of me doing it on my YouTube channel. You would have it's gotten, one like five hundred and thirty three hit combo. Oh, <laughs> you would have gotten some flack on online, I think, if if that happened. I think so, but I <laughs> I, I really wanted that. But yeah, I know. Yeah, fun projects to to be a part of in the past for sure. So so you uh, you work on Severed and and whatnot, and sounds like from our talk you enjoyed you thoroughly enjoyed your time at Drinkbox Studios. But you kind of decide to uh, break apart and start your own studio. You said that there's kind of three co owners. Were they former Drinkbox people too, or just kind of friends of yours? Or uh, no. Um... <clears throat> So uh, one of the co-owners, who's the company technical director, Jeff, uh, I previously worked with him at Gameloft many, many years ago. Right. Uh, so he's a former colleague of mine. Uh, and yeah, we worked together, like I said, at Gameloft, uh, even before I was at Drinkbox. Okay. And, and you know, about the same time, he was just deciding that he was kind of looking for a change and uh, was was interested in kind of jumping into a new original project, um, which worked really well. And the third co-owner is our business partner, 
uh, Bridget, and she handles the finances and runs the operation. So she's uh, she's very business savvy and has a financial background, uh, an accounting background. So she's perfect to like keep us on track, keep us on budget, and is always the very level-headed, mature voice in the room. <laughs> you always need one of those for sure. Oh yeah. So so you started household games. Perfect. I'm I'm assuming kind of like. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. Actually, uh, from the get go, you kind of had an idea of the type of game that you wanted to create. Like, in the end, Wave the Passive Fist uh, is a you know a side scrolling brawler similar to Streets of Rage. Um, that's what it reminds me of, anyways, and uh, and a little bit of Punch Out as well with with the whole kind yeah. of timing of everything, which is <clears throat> which is two things. I, I was a huge Streets of Rage fan, and I'm excited actually that they just announced the Sega Genesis collection today. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I was never really a big Punch-Out fan. Uh, in fact, I don't even think I played the original, but I played the Wii one. Uh, and just playing through the game, you know, you get into the rhythm of everything. And it actually, it, it's it's like Punch-Out, but then also a little like uh, Mario RPG, um, Paper Mario, with all the sure, kind of yeah. timing on moves. So <clears throat> was that kind of your intention, like right from the get-go? Like as soon as you kind of left Drinkbox Studios, like this is the kind of game I want to make? Or did you kind of, did you and your business partners kind of like discuss it? Did you have a few ideas that you threw up on the board and, and rejected? How was how did that kind of like all start? Sure. Um, I mean, it's definitely one that I've had in my head for a while. Um, when the company was founded, it was really a matter of thinking like, you know, there's two or three ideas we have floating around which is the one that fits for the company now? Like, which is a good first project for a company? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have varying ideas of different sizes, different scope. Uh, and we just decided <clears throat> kind of actually we, all three we really liked. And we're definitely open to exploring those like now as a future project. But um, it was really just about like, you know, what's the one that makes the most sense for where the company's at now? Right. And we kind of, with people we were thinking about working with and what their talents were and how they could um, influence the project, it was the one that made the most sense. And everyone who came on board for that project brought exactly uh, what they needed to make that project work. That's why we had an amazing pixel artist animator, uh, a really great, colorful, and... um, kind of sensibly minded art director who knew how everything could fit. Mm. Uh, and then of course the, our, uh, um, our composer Ori that we worked with, uh, he's, he's, he was, he's part of a musical band called the blast processors specializes in kind of synth heavy with instrumental old school music. He's a huge Sega fan. So like the flair he brought to the music worked quite well as well. So like, the team composition made sense to exactly make this game, so it's the one we went with. Awesome. Yeah, it's funny because I, it's it's hard for me to explain, but the game feels like an you know like an upscaled Genesis game. Like I was Genesis kid growing up. I didn't have an SNES. I've all, I played it, but just playing it with maybe it's that Streets of Rage vibe that I just really strongly get from the game. But it feels like a Genesis kind of uh, game, just with the art and the pixels and, and everything like that. So. I hope you're going for that because I think you guys succeeded on that. Um, one of the Thank one you. of the people that you kind of uh, that you worked with was with uh, was half coordinated on on Twitter. I actually don't know their first name or anything like that. I just know them on Twitter as half coordinated. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're an accessibility and design consultant, basically. Um, and they and they, you know that, that ties in with kind of months other things in the game i'm sure but also like the difficulty scaling where you can scale kind of the, the amount of checkpoints the the timing for your parries and things like that what was the what was kind of like the um, the thought process on that like wh- why was that kind of important to you guys sure um so one of the things so firstly um uh i'm a speedrunner myself uh i speedrun a couple old nes games Which and ones? so uh, so I speed run uh, a game called Power Blade on the NES, which is an old Taito game, kind of a bit like Mega Man, but uh, you're a secret agent that throws boomerangs. Oh, I don't even think I've ever. I'm just looking it up on right uh, now on online. I I don't even think I've ever heard of this one. Oh, it's it's one of my favorites, um, and I'm currently like on the speed run leaderboard for it. Um, I've taken a bit of a break to develop this. I want to go back. I have the number three time, and I'm like, I want to get. 
I think I can shave some time off <laughs> to get to the number two time, I think, with a bit of practice. Um, and then I also speed run dunk on country games. Um, that's a really competitive category, so I don't really have – I don't have – anything near a top 10 for those. Right. Um, but yeah, but I love doing it. And so I love always tuning into, even though you don't have to be a speedrunner, I love tuning into the marathons that they do, the speedrun marathons. Yeah, Games games Done Quick, or, I think it's games called. Games Done Quick. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, even before then, I've long been a fan of Half Coordinated. Uh, he's one of the first people I followed on Twitch. Actually, he may be the first channel I followed on Twitch. Oh, really? Yeah, just because he's awesome, and like he speeds run the he speed runs the coolest games. He <laughs> speed runs Vanquish, which is amazing. Love that game. The PS3, um, the kind of robot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By Platinum Games, yeah. he's definitely one of my favorite developers. Um, so yeah, he plays the coolest games. So I was watching Games Done Quick, and then I watched his marathon back in 2016, uh, the summer marathon. He speed ran Transformers Devastation. Yeah. That that was the other. That's the that's also platinum, isn't it? It is also platinum. Yeah, yeah. he he definitely has an because he also speed runs near near Automata. Oh yeah. So like yeah. <laughs> so he's a big platinum uh, platinum. He guy. is a big he is a big uh, platinum. I, I believe he's part of like a, a collective called Platinum Clovers oh, okay. that speed runs platinum and clover games. Um, but yeah, so I've long been a fan of his, and when he he did the charity marathon, um, he did his speed run. It was really great. Um, and then afterwards he just kind of gave like a little impassioned speech about overcoming your disabilities or not thinking them as a barrier. Mm. And, you know, it was really inspiring and it was kind of awesome. And one of the things I like about being an indie dev, especially one that owns my own studio is that like, I can make my own decisions (laughs) when a light bulb goes off. I don't check with anyone else. I just go, yeah, I actually, I have a bit of inspiration. I want to look into working with him. And so I just did it. Uh, I just reached out to him on Twitter um, and just told him, hey, my name's Jason. Thinking about making a game, and I'd love for you to come help us and talk to us, consult with the team, be a member of the team, and help us uh, work on improving the accessibility of the game. Yes. And we you know, had meetings with him. He talked to the team. And yeah, we, we like, you know, we kind of approached it like, yeah, we kind of know what colorblindness is and that makes sense. But like, what else don't we know? And that's when like, you know, he told us things that are important to him, things that as an advocate he knows of. And, you know, he told us that, you know, there's colorblindness, there's players with physical impairments that mean they like remappable controls are super important to them. Uh, And then he kind of started talking about cognitive impairments and that's, you know, people that may have slower than average reaction times or perhaps can be overwhelmed with information. Mm -hmm. And that's when I thought like, Oh, that actually like the difficulty of the game involves piling more things on screen or making your timings razor sharp. And that's when we kind of brainstormed and collectively we kind of came up with this idea of like, instead of just having easy, medium, hard, let's let them control the individual elements and be like, yeah, you know, tweak the timing of a parry, tweak how many guys are on screen at once. And for like, you know, cause sometimes a misconception that often comes up is people are like, Oh, when you make a game accessible, you make it easier. Mm-hmm. And like the way we structure the game, we don't feel that's the case. We ask every player to accomplish the same thing. You know, like we're like in this fight, in this level, you've got to fight 10 guys. Everyone in the world has to fight 10 guys. Now it's your choice. Do you want to fight them one at a time? Do you want to fight them maybe two come out at a time or three and three and four or and then eventually on the highest setting we're like all 10 of them pile into the screen. Deal with it. <laughs> but like everyone has to accomplish the same thing. So we're not saying anyone gets a pass. Right. We're just saying, hey, if you like you get confused or you're like, I don't I, I you know, too many choices. I don't like that. Then like we can parade them out one by one. So you deal with them. But like everyone has to do the same thing. So that's why we don't feel it's a watered down experience. Uh, like I said, everyone has to do the same thing. It's a technical game. You still have to time things, but we're like, we can give you a little bit of flexibility, but everyone, everyone's got to accomplish the same thing. So everyone also comes out of it with the same sense of accomplishment. It's like, if you got to the end of the game, then you did it. You beat them. You, you did what you needed to do and everyone deserves credit for that. Yeah. One, one recent kind of example is, uh, I was having kind of, not an argument, just a debate with a friend. Cause, uh, I don't know if you have a switch, the, the Mario Kart that came out 
um, Mario Kart Deluxe 8 or 8 Deluxe or whatever mm. it's called has two kind of modes. It it has one where it'll kind of like turn for you. Yep. And also you don't have to hold down A, it'll just always like go for you. So someone doesn't have to worry about always holding down the gas. Yep. And I remember having similar debate where you're just kind of saying about like people think uh, kind of match accessibility with easiness. You're making this yeah. game easier. And, and there was a great post on the Nintendo Switch subreddit where this person mentions that they're uh, they have three kids and one of the one of their, one of their kids, a daughter, has uh, I can't remember the exact details, but some sort of like learning disability and and I think she like some sort of disability where she couldn't like basically compete with her siblings in a mm -hmm. game. But Mario Kart, she didn't have to like worry about pressing A. She could just focus on like steering and stuff, and she was able to like play with her her uh, her brothers and. It's like what you're kind of saying, like everyone still has to get to the end of the race. Yeah, uh, yeah. Everyone still has to kind of collect items and, and pass people and, and whatnot. But the very simple fact of that this person now has one less thing to kind of worry about um, kind of, you know, puts them all on the same kind of leveling field. And uh, I remember just like having that kind of debate where it's not like it's not a baby mode. Like they didn't put it in to baby a player or whatever. It's an accessibility option. And so... I was always like super impressed when when you guys kind of announced that you're working with Half Coordinate, who I didn't hear about uh, before until you kind of announced that you're working with them. Mm -hmm. uh, and when I finally saw the kind of difficulties, you know, scaling in in action, I was kind of playing with it. I played the first level uh, three or four times, just kind of matching up the different things. And I actually didn't realize that you still face the same amount of characters, but like you said, it's either kind of all at once or it's you know one at a time or whatnot. So. Um, very cool. Very cool that you guys do that. I hope it kind of, I hope it's a trend that like kind of continues in gaming because not only is it the right thing to do, um, but you know, I think you see the results kind of financially where it's like, if a certain percentage of people can't play your game based on it not being accessible, that's like lost sales. You can, yeah, you can think of it that way. And that's totally, I don't like, that's fair. Mm -hmm. Um, as a designer, I don't even feel I need to make the business argument yeah. like that because I just say it makes the game better, period. For like sure. there's a there's enough of a creative one. But you know, there's some people who do and like it's totally valid to make the business argument that, yeah, you know, you're – yeah, exactly. You're maximizing your audience essentially. Yeah. And and yeah, like we, we've had good success with that it, just in terms of we feel proud of what we've accomplished, I mean, of course. Mm -hmm. And yeah, there, there's, there's still more we can do. We don't just pat ourselves on the back and say mission accomplished. We've gotten feedback from, from, I've gotten feedback from players personally about some things we could do in the future differently or better. So we're going to look into that, uh, you know, see, you know, as we, uh, as we move on to new projects, there's even new, there's even more we can do. So, yeah. And so, uh, you know, wave passive fist is out. Uh, it's out on PlayStation 4, Xbox One, uh, on PC as well, uh, or Steam. And is it just Steam or is it on the? I know like there's Humble Bundle and stuff like that. Did you guys release to those? I can't remember. So it is on Steam, and, and on Steam uh, it works with PC, Mac, and Linux. There you go. Uh, and it's also available, yeah, from the Humble Store. Perfect. And also from Green Man Gaming as well. We're also on there, which is mostly UK based. But if anyone listening is in the UK, it's an it's an alternate place you can get the game as well perfect and so now it's out um and obviously there's you know like you said you're getting feedback and stuff like that do you think you're going to you don't have to i mean you can answer this anyway with detail you like but do you think you'll kind of um work on it a bit more with like some dlc or some patches or anything like that or do you think it's kind of uh do you have anything to say about that i guess <laughs> sure yeah I, I mean all i'll say right now is just the fact that you know we live in an age where even a single-player game is never one and done. Very right. rarely do you see a game that's one and done anymore. Just just because the way the games are distributed digitally anyway, it's I don't want to say easy because that's not the right word, but just like you know, it's it, 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 you know the possibilities are there to patch and update and mm -hmm. add content. So yeah, no, for sure, I can say we're definitely not done. And so one question we did get on Twitter was if uh, if, you're, if you guys are thinking about a physical release or a PlayStation Vita port or anything like that. 
Um, it's something we're looking at. Vita doesn't seem. Uh, uh, yeah, Vita's very much not likely. Yeah. That is, I can I can just say quite frankly, that's just due to the tools we used. Yeah. The engine we used and the tools we used limit us in that respect. Uh, so when we started making the game, Vita wasn't on the table because it just wasn't compatible with what we were building. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm I'm a huge Vita fan. And, uh, Same. It's it's, I like it's honestly one of my favorite portables. Like I know 3ds is is this huge juggernaut thing, but honestly, I think I like like I have to like think about this quite often. Where I'm just like I think I like my Vita more than my 3ds. As much as I liked my time with 3ds, I've kind of grown out of it. But I still play my Vita every now and then. Like there's still indie games and, and stuff coming out. Um, oh, it's a it's an amazing uh, indie game machine. I still love it. I. I I bought uh, anecdotally so I bought I bought Shovel Knight five times now. Oh really? Because uh, I because I got it initially on Wii U. Yeah. And then bought it on 3DS because Nintendo doesn't know what cross buy is. <laughs> um, uh, and then of course I bought it on PS4 because I wanted to fight Kratos and platinum it, which I did. Oh, you got the plat. So I I have it on Vita. I think it's cross buy on Vita and PlayStation. It is cross buy on Vita and PS4 and. Um, yeah, I got the plat on it, and it's the same plat on both platforms. Yeah. Oh, so it's so not it's only, two different. Uh, no. Or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just one plat, um, and then I got it on Xbox because I wanted Battletoads. Oh, that's right. Um, and and I, yeah, like Shovel Knight's one of my all-time favorite, like top five games for me. But like my point being is, so I, I played it for like two years up to that point. I think by the time it came out on PS4 and Vita, mm-hmm. so I'd played it a ton. I. I knew I could platinum it because I did all the in-game challenges on the Wii U version. So I'd already basically platinumed it. So I was like, I just got to do it again. No problem. But my point is, the first time I loaded up the game on my Vita, I was like, this is beautiful. Yeah. That screen is, is so good. Ridiculous. The screen, yeah. The screen on a Vita is amazing. Um, so yeah, I love the Vita. But yeah, I, unfortunately, due to, like I said, just due to the tools we were using, the engine we were using, we, we, did, we literally didn't have Vita compatibility. Um. Uh, when, when as we were building the game, so yeah, I think I think like gamers are are fine, are like kind of starting to understand that like I don't even remember the last Sony produced game. It's been a few years, but I think gamers are kind of kind of to understand that Vita is like has long been in the sunset. <laughs> um, it, it, it seemingly has been, but yeah, exactly. But I mean, it has so many. <laughs> evergreen titles on it oh yeah it's a great like, platform. like i said it's a it's a perfect platform that has everything you could ever want on it like the my default home screen just literally i'm like oh wow that's just a snapshot of my favorite all-time games huh how about that <laughs> yeah you can actually get all i'm pretty sure you can get every final fantasy from one to to ten uh and x2 i guess on the vita like they're all either- oh i guess because with ps1 classes exactly well. i was like Wait a PS- minute. as a playstation classic so seven eight nine 10 yep. was ported there with 10 with X2. Um, and yep. then like one, two, three are, are PS1 games as well. And, and uh, yeah, they're all like, it's either, it's either like a re-release um, like 10 or it's like a PS1 classic. And, and I, yeah. I've seen screenshots of people who just have like, you know, as, <laughs> as one of the windows is just like yeah. the final fantasy window. Yeah. It's, I played final fantasy nine on my PSP go. <laughs> yeah i play when i for the I, first I, time or like in general no just in general oh, but I like i because i used to commute i used to live in burlington and commute into toronto so i'd take the go train and for like two months i i did a playthrough on the go train on a psp go i love the psp go i never actually had a psp go i don't think i knew, I knew a single person i wasn't big a psp person it wasn't until honestly the trophies that that i kind of bought into the vx i think i bought the vita like uh not day one but year one nice um, nice and so I never had the, I might have had a PSP, like, from a friend that he, like, you know how it was, it was super easy to, like, um, hack or whatever and, and get SNES games on there. So I think I had uh, one for that, like, way back in the day that I used once, thought it was cool, and then never used again sort of thing. Um, but I never had, I never had the Go. The Go was like the foot, uh, it was like a sliding thing, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it, it slid upward and the controls were, I thought, more comfortable. It was, it was kind of cool. It was really nice too because it really helped acclimate me as a consumer to digital only. Yeah. Oh, that's it right. it was digital only. That's right. Didn't like, yeah, the UMD had you, No UMD slot. Yeah. And, but no, I, so like, I, so I know what it's like to love 
a sunsetted handheld. <laughs> Just like all other Vita owners right now. Absolutely. It's funny because like the Vita, you look at it, it has like the first year, year or year or two, it has like the AAA games like Uncharted, Gravity Rush, um, you know, wipe out like great games that are they're sort of like quote unquote bigger budget or whatever. Mm-hmm. And those that and Assassin's Creed and you know, I think it they, they really botched it with Call of Duty. That was like their that was like oh, a way to get a yeah. lot of people in, but the Call of Duty game on Vita, I don't know if you ever played it, is absolute trash. Oh, that's too bad. Um, and then that sort of just started the the downward thing. But then that's when Indies kinda of came up and sort of revived the system for a little bit, but by that point I think Sony had kind of accepted its fate. Um mm. So, so Wave Pass fits out, as you mentioned. Uh, what about a, a that was another part of the question? What about a physical release? Because I know limited run games kind of does a few things, like Home from Benjamin Rivers, just kind of re released on PS4 and Vita physical. Do you think you'll do a, like a physical release sometime yeah. in the future? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, we we would like to. It's something we we're going to be looking into or have been like it's just yeah, yeah. It, it, it's exciting. I think it's really cool, and I think like you know, there's lots of partners. Mm-hmm. that are working with indies because that's always, that's long been kind of considered a downside to being an indie or working on digital only titles. Cause you're like, Oh, I grew up and I always wanted my game in EB games mm-hmm. or, you know, I always wanted it on a shelf. And then for a lot of the developers, myself included, when we finally got the chance to make like console titles, it was like, yeah, you can make consoles, but they don't exist anywhere. Um, so all of the companies like indie box, um, and all the companies that have been working on physical editions in one form or another for indie games has been awesome. It's been it's been a way to really let them realize kind of their dream of releasing a game. Nice, nice. If you hear a dog barking in the background, by the way, that's just my dog. <laughs> Probably some stranger walked by or something like that. <laughs> um, while you were talking earlier, I did find your your blog, by the way, jasonknm.blogspot.ca. Your last post oh, was uh, January 1st, 2014, Top 10 Games of 2013. Oh man! <laughs> oh man! Uh, so, perfect. So, yeah, you, you want to you you kind of think about patches and stuff like that. You mentioned all that stuff. So, what? Um, I guess you kind of alluded to like the next project and stuff like that. Is there obviously way the pacifist just came out a few days ago? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's certainly too early to to seriously talk about the next game or next thing, but like, is there anything you kind of want to say about the next game? Like, or the next thing, is it going to be kind of the same universe, same genre? Do you think something different or you're, it's just like too early? Um, definitely, definitely too early. Cause like I said, I, I, I will say we're definitely not done with way of the pacifist. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. And we, we hope to, but, uh, I, I can definitely say that we're a studio that, is focused on making like our, our, our mantra is to make cool games. So I, I think, and I mean, I take great, like once again, to to bring it back to like drink box, um, just like I take inspiration for them. Like I, I was really inspired by their leadership. The fact that they went from something like guacamelee to severed. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can definitely see the visual style, some thematic elements that make sense that tie together. You know, it's definitely, you know, it's flavorfully drink box, unmistakably so, but I don't think it's what people were expecting at all. Yeah, and so I'm really inspired by that. Like, our, like I just want to make really cool original games. Um, so that's what you'll be seeing from us. We like that. That's what that's what we're always going to strive to make. So we're not tied to a genre. We're not tied to an era or a visual style per se. Um, you know, we're not going to necessarily do pixel art. We'll do pixel art if pixel art is the best way to do the game. Yeah. But not necessarily, but like, yeah. And I, I know the ideas. I don't even want to hint at any of them. But like they're they're varying all over the place and they're so different. Um, when we're ready to talk about it, we definitely will and we'll be excited about it. Um, but yeah, no, yeah, like don't don't have any expectations in terms of what it could be. Have high expectations that'll be cool and I hope to live up to how cool those expectations are. But stylistically, be ready for anything is all I'll say. Perfect. And uh, and and you guys, like I said, you're not done with Wave the Passive Fist and uh, and whatnot. So. No, not at all. Perfect. Um, so I didn't actually know this before we jumped on the call, but from or from the on the podcast, but from the sounds of it, you're a trophy guy, and so now I'm oh, getting yes. excited because I do the podcast with Jake and and Brett uh, and Dan back in the day too, and they're not really trophy people, so 
I'm kind of like just getting giddy being able to talk to someone who like appreciates trophies. One question I, I've, I've kind of been debating about this a little bit because I, I met a friend who had, I have, I have 7,500 PlayStation trophies. So I've been going since, you know, 2000, whenever Little Big Planet came out, I got my PS3 okay. like that time. Yep. And then going forward. So I think like that year, that following year is when Sony said that every game needs to have PlayStation yes. trophies. Yep. For a while, they had to be patched in. Um, yep. And so, I so I thought I had a good list. I got a, quite a bit of platinums, and and I've actually, uh, you know, usually when I compare to people, I'm, I'm up in the higher ranks or whatever. But I met a I met someone who has he's on Xbox, but he has double the amount of achievements I have from trophies. <laughs> and he's a big uh, guy on the average. Like he wants his, you know, he wants to be above a certain average for across his whole like game collection. And so it's kind of like. How do you like what? What do you value the most when it comes to the trophies? Is it just game trophies? Is it the platinum? Is it the percentage? Like, what do you kind of value the most? You just pick up a game. What do you what what uh, what's the end game there? Sure. Um, for me, I, I'm a completionist. Yeah. So, um, but there's a lot. Of, so for me, I I don't mind jumping out of a game if I'm not if I'm not enjoying it or I don't feel it's worth the time. I'll jump out. Yeah. If I have ten percent trophies. I'm like, yeah, I'm not going farther. I'll jump out. Um, but if I'm in, I'm I'm in. Now I'm I'm an everything gamer. Like I own every console and I play every console. Mm-hmm. So I kind of I secretly wish I played only Sony because I'd have more platinums. Because like I have a thousand out of a thousand in like Bayonetta on Xbox, for example. Yeah. On 360. So if I were playing that on PS3, I would have had a platinum. Um, and Bioshock as well. I did Bioshock. To a platinum level on 360. Oh man, did you have to beat that on like a a difficulty where you can't die or something? Yeah, the hardest difficulty without Vita chambers, Vita chambers. Oh my god. Yeah, Um, (laughs) but no, no, I'm I'm all in. Uh, Right now, I'm two trophies away from platinuming Mercenary Kings. Oh yeah, I have that as an early. It was an early PlayStation Plus game. That's like the 2D kind of army. Um, platformer game, right? Yeah, it's very much Metal Slug meets Monster Hunter. Yeah. And I got it back in 2014, and I kind of wasn't into it, but because I've been playing Monster Hunter World, which I'm dedicated to getting the Platinum in, Ooh, me too. Um, I get the loop for Monster Hunter now, and when I went back to Mercenary Kings, I was like, oh, this is, this is, this is Monster Hunter. It's exactly Monster Hunter. Even the fact that there's a guy you give ingredients to to get food to get a random perk before you go on a... I'm like, oh... I never realized it, but it's literally just Monster Hunter. So I'm, I get the loop, and I'm like, done. I know how this works now. And so I'm almost done that. I'm going to go back to Monster Hunter. Um, how far are you into to Monster Hunter? I'm at 120 hours, 116 hours. Yeah, I'm at, I'm at like 90, and I I have um, – I've been in the story. Okay. I've, I haven't got the 50 tempered monsters yet. Uh, okay, yeah. I'm, see, I'm working on tempered monsters right now. Exactly. And the, I have my latest. My latest quest is two tempered bezel Jews. Yes. Yeah. And that's. Um, I'm gonna fire some flares. I actually, I really, I'm really glad it has a healthy community and people answer SOS flares pretty reliably. Yeah. Like, I'm glad the community is going strong for that. Um, I know getting miniature crowns is going to be a son of a gun. Yeah, the the apparently the events help out with that a lot. I think I'm actually pretty mm-hmm. close to getting the silver trophy for the miniature crown. So I think I nice. have like five or six. Nice. Um, but it's like I forget what it is. It's like the 15 minute invest- investigations are more likely to give uh, okay. like smaller crowns or something along those lines. So Ooh. it's um they 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 do kind of I I think the events help out and then the investigations help out. The one that's like really killing me right now that I just try to chip away at every now and then is arena quests because I really don't like doing the arenas. Same, yeah. It's just like it's it's part of the fun for Monster Hunter is like going to these beautiful worlds, trying to find the monster, collecting shit and all that stuff, and like hunt and like tracking mm-hmm. them and whatnot. And then you go into arena, and it's like here's the predetermined loot. And here's a yep. monster that's just like in a circle for you to go kill. And I'm like, ah, oh, this is so dull. And no one plays arena really. Like I've tried to do, you can't SOS for arena quests. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm at like 10 or so. I just try to chip away at it, but it's like, kill. I'm like, oh, this is not fun. And you don't even get like the, the mats from the monsters either. You get like kind of special stuff. That's maybe useful, but I have no idea. But 
I, yeah. I'm, I'm also determined to get the the Monster Hunter uh, World Platinum. And in fact, it's funny because Way of the Passive Fist has the honor of being the game that drove me away from Monster Hunter finally after like a month of just <laughs> solid play. I was like, okay, this it was literally the 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 next game I played after playing that for like 100 hours. So Awesome. Well, thank you. And yeah, that's cool. I, I mean, I'm just browsing my Platinums right now. Um, the last game I Platinumed was The Surge, which I really loved. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Surge is my favorite non-Souls Souls game. Oh yeah, this it's like a two D one too, isn't it? No, no, it's um, it's uh, it was released last year by Deck Thirteen. It's basically a, a Souls game uh, that's sci-fi. It's a science fiction Souls game. Oh, I don't even think I've I've heard of this one. Oh, I, I actually particularly enjoyed it. It's one of my favorite games from last year for sure. Perfect. Um, I might check it out. Do you but, do you like the do you get the games where it's like an easy platinum after like twenty minutes or whatever? Like my name is Mayo and and Energy Circle was the was the one that I just picked up. Um, uh, I have I have not so. no no. So you're not you, so you haven't like because every because I I've done it I haven't gotten that many games because uh, it's really just my name is Mayo because that one's so hard like it's it's so hard to like not get it because it's like a buck and it's a split. Uh, it's like a separate list. It's crossed yeah. by. Oh man! Hey, no, that that's 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 totally viable. Like, I more more or less that I just haven't gotten around to it. Oh, I see. Uh, but that's totally fair. Um, no, I mean, uh, I you know, I've gotten the platinums for Walking Dead, Tales yeah. from the Borderly, the Telltale game. Just hand them to you, but um, yeah, no, no. But I mean, and I mean, like, I have been guilty. I've I've stuck out games for platinums like Peggle Two. Oh, is Peggle Two hard one? Just because Peggle's random. Yeah. True. Like, it's so random, like... But, like, I stuck it in and was like, oh, you're not going to get me in. And um, <laughs> I was really happy about the re-release because my favorite Ratchet & Clank game is Ratchet Deadlocked. Nobody likes Ratchet Deadlocked. I love the heck out of Ratchet Deadlocked. Was that the last PS2 one? It was. Yeah. And it was kind of an arena-based game, and there was no Clank. Well, he was there in the story, but he wasn't really playable at all, and it was just Ratchet... But I, I love it the most. It's my favorite Ratchet and Clank game. Um, so I, I when it got re-released on PS3 with trophies, I was like, I'm in. I'm so in for that. <laughs> it's but, funny because GTA 3 they re-released on on uh, PlayStation 4 with trophies, mm-hmm. and I was like, and I've, and it was a ha- it came out at a time, or I bought it rather at a time when I was playing a lot of GTA 5, and I was like, yeah, I'll you know I'll go back. Obviously, like I played GTA 3 back in the day for pretty much a year straight of just me and my friends would just like after school, you know, they come over and we would just like dick around and kill cops and stuff like that. And, uh, I'm playing the game and I'm just like, man, this game did not hold up well at all. Like, <laughs> I did the same thing with vice city. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and I imagine vice city is similar, like super foggy, yeah. super like choppy. Like I'm not usually, you know, kind of a snot, like frame rate and stuff doesn't usually matter that much, but I was just playing GTA three and I got like, uh, I'm still on the first island, but I'm really close to leaving the first island. So I'm like maybe 10 hours in or whatever. And, and it's just been like, I'm just like, oh, this game did not age that well. Like, it's obviously a huge impact on the gaming, you, you know, universe. Uh, yep. Open world, it basically defined open world games, but it uh, it does not age well. I'm assuming Vice City is kind of in a similar. Yeah, it was, it was a bit rough to play. I could only get like three, four missions in before I just literally couldn't beat missions anymore. And I was like, whew. <laughs> unfortunately but no no yeah I, I'm, I'm a big fan and like i'm a big fan of as a game designer saying like trophies are part of game design mm-hmm. and the best kind of trophies um you know encourage use of the mechanics they encourage experimentation they encourage the player to stick with it and keep going um i've had all kinds of rants over the years about like like i couldn't believe Back in the day, it was Devil May Cry 4. Because I beat Devil May Cry 4, unlocked all of the abilities, beat it again on the hard difficulty, and I was at 160 out of 1,000. I was at 16% done like achievements. Oh, my God. And I was like, wait, I've done two full playthroughs and unlocked everything. What is wrong with you? And I found <laughs> early on like games didn't have them figured out because the Xbox 360 King Kong game that launched like – had ten trophy, had ten achievements, one per level. You got like you're done. Yeah. And 
other games, but like, yeah, I, I don't like games where I've played like 30 hours and I've gotten two trophies. I, like there's, there's a rate at with like, there's a formula and a rate, not necessarily a formula. I hate to say it that way, but like there's a rate, like I know like trophies for me, you know, there's a drip rate. Like when I start going too long without one, I'm like, I'm losing interest. Oh man, I'm looking at Devil May Cry 4 right now. 7 out of 10 estimated dip trophy difficulty. 100, 100 plus hours. Minimum number of playthroughs. 7 in story mode and 5 in bloody palace. Which I don't know. <laughs> oh man. They're real back-ended. Holy crap. But I wonder, um, was that like when it... Because they re-released it on PS4. Did, did they use the same... Uh... I imagine they would have. I've never seen a game really changed them that much if it did have before that's something i don't think i've seen too much of. one thing i've been wondering too uh is the overwatch trophies because the one for mercy was to revive four people with oh. your ultimate and they changed her ultimate yeah you're right i don't because Resurrect um, six players without dying as mercy in quick play. So they actually did change it, which I don't think they do very often. I don't think people the game. Maybe you know, like, are you? Do you know if you're allowed to change the trophies? I know in my experience, unless there's certain things they'll make for other people or that. Um, no, I don't believe you. I don't. In fact, I believe, as far as I know, there's strict rules that you can't. It looks like it looks like Overwatch did. I know, like Overwatch is obviously huge. Like Sony would just. Would have to let yeah, them. yeah, exactly. Those are to yeah, different I mean, level, any, but yeah, exactly. But typically, <laughs> as far as I know, you you can't. But um, I'll I'll have to look into it because because I've heard of yeah. changing the name of a trophy because one of the Walking Dead ones in the first season, mm -hmm. um, I think her name is Lily, uh, the character that you kind of either leave in the third episode who like who her dad has the heart attack and stuff like that. Yeah, they were supposed to tie that character to Lily in the comic books, um, and so the trophy name when you when you finally left Lily uh, on the side of the road or whatever was something along the lines of like hinting to the governor, like it was something like on onward to Woodbury or something along those lines. Mm -hmm. And then Robert Kirkman um, came out with a book that was basically Lily, like you know the backstory of Lily. And yeah. it changed from the game, so they had to change the text of the trophy. They didn't change like the 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 requirements for it. They just changed the text to like something else. So I've heard of that before, but I didn't know actually they could like I didn't know anything about like changing the actual trophy, like the requirements for getting it. So that's crazy. Um, yeah, I guess yeah, no, it clearly must be possible. Yeah, these are the things yeah. that I that I that Oh man, no, I, I love it. Like I'm looking at my trophy list right now online, and I love that it tells me like how long it took to complete the game, like from when I started playing to platinuming it. Um, there's one I want to look up because I know it's going to be hilarious if I can just find it. <laughs> I want to look up Demon Souls. Oh, that so that's the one I started with uh, Dark uh, Dark Souls. Mm -hmm. And I, def I didn't definitely didn't get the platinum. So for me, uh, it's a little bit different. Like, I like the trophies. I try not to read the trophies until I beat the game. So with Way of the yeah. Massive Fist, I'm on level six or seven. I've replayed a few levels, but I haven't actually checked out the trophies yet. I I've obviously got some for certain bosses and and like I what I'm guessing is like unlocking the ability or or parrying a number of times or something along those lines. But I haven't checked out that whole list. I try to like beat the game first, unless it's a game I know yeah. I'm just playing for the trophies. Yep. No, um, that's definitely a similar rule too. The, the only other exception is that I check to see if there's missable. So I, I'll look to see if there's any missable. If there are, then I, I might read it. But if there isn't, then I just I just kind of. Yeah. Um. Oh man, like this trophy talk is amazing. I'm loving it. Have you ever <laughs> ruined a game for trophies? Because I actually did once. Because I was playing. Um. I was playing. We played. Um. Murdered Soul Suspect, which is a very narrative-driven game. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's, you're dead and you gotta... You're, yeah, you're yeah. a detective who's dead and you gotta investigate your own murder. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a very narrative-driven game, and I was playing with my partner, and the, we were playing together, and she was like, oh, this is great, it's a narrative game, and I, uh, you know, I, I'm enjoying this, we're watching the story. And then I just had to, and I peeked, and I saw that there was a point of no return like 95% way of the story where it's like, oh, once you enter the courthouse at the end, you can't get all the collectibles. <laughs> so at the end of the game, when she, I was like, stop. I was like, just let me go get the collectibles, please. <laughs> and so like ground the story to a halt. I ran around the world, got all the collectibles. Took me like two hours. 
And then I was like, okay, now let's see the ending. And she was like, you son of a gun, you ruined the game. <laughs> and she was like, because she was like, are you done yet? Like, this has ruined the entire game for me. And I was You're like, right. I'm so sorry, but like, we got 95% of the trophies. I can't, I don't want to do another playthrough for this one bronze trophy. Yeah. Um, I don't think I've ever ruined a game like that. Um, trying to think off the top of my head. I don't think so. What I, what has happened is like, I will hate a game, like just trying to finish, like trying to get the platinum or just trying to get certain trophies. Like, I remember um, Lego, one of the first games that came out for PS4 was like a Lego Marvel game. Like a, mm-hmm. It wasn't the Avengers one. I forget what it's called. Like Marvel, let me see. Marvel Lego game. Anyways, one of the trophies is basically you got to collect everything in the game. And those Lego games, they're, they're dense now. They put in so much shit into those games. And uh, one of the like kind of side quests or whatever was a, like, a go, like a flying go-kart that you just had to kind of race around a lap like three or four times or something like that. And huh. the controls for controlling this go-kart were so stiff. Like it was <laughs> brutal and I couldn't for the life of me do it. And I finally, like that was the last bit I played. I was like, I'm, I'm, that's it. I'm done. I can't play this game anymore. I don't, I, I think I had like 60, 70% of the trophies. I can't do it. I'm, I'm just done. So there's been a lot of times like that where I'll be going for the platinum and then just get to a point where like, I'm going to hate this game for the rest of my life if I mm-hmm. try to platinum it. And if it's a game I really thoroughly enjoyed, I'd, I'd rather remember it me, rather me, rather remember me enjoying it than being like, oh yeah, I played that. It was, it's a real bitch to get the last like 10% or something like that. Yeah. It's, it can, it can drag you down sometimes. And then that's why I'm, I'm fine walking away for the most part. Um, yeah, like I said, I don't I don't like seeing a ninety eight percent completion, and I'm like, oh. But you know, if I'm if I'm somewhere around the like twenty to thirty percent range, and I'm just not feeling it, I'll be like, I'm good. I saw I saw the other day that someone did platinum wave the passive fist. Yeah, we've had a couple, which is really great. Um, it looks like uh, on PSM profiles, two point four four percent. That's that's pretty good for right now. So that I, I, you know, that makes sense for like the early adopters being excited and jumping in and doing it all. Yeah. Um, you know, I expect that number will likely go down perhaps. You think? You got a lot of gold. Uh, in there. I don't want to read the, I don't want to read them. Just looking yeah, at yeah. the gold. Uh, no, no, but I, I, so I, I'm a big fan. Uh, and unlike with most games, like the design changed over time. So we changed a few, but like, I definitely had the trophy list in mind. Like when we were very early stages of designing, because that's just my preference. Yeah. Perfect. Well, I didn't anticipate us talking for trophies for twenty twenty five minutes. But <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I, hopefully it's been fun. I, I would like. I'll come on the podcast if you guys do it again, just to do it more trophy talk or speed run talk or w- whatever. Beautiful. Actually, speed running is one of the. Actually, I went. We should. We should kind of get together another a little bit. Talk about speed running because speed running is one of the things that I don't. Um, fully uh like not understand but th- that i'm not fully into i don't really know who to follow or who to or like or what have you i, I was never really into speed running as a kid um mm-hmm. but oh what uh, i learned yeah. this weekend sorry just to like what i learned this weekend is that i wasn't a big smash brothers like fighter person but mm-hmm. then i saw some of the stuff going on at eglx this last weekend and i was i got super hyped for all of the smash brothers <laughs> esports stuff so I'm assuming awesome. I can open up to ease, to speed running as well. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, it's just I mean it's something I didn't even know existed till well in it, like in a quote unquote official capacity like ten years ago. Um, so that's why it's been really fun to revisit a lot of the games that I would just play for fun. You know, I just beat Mega Man three on a weekend three four times for mm-hmm. fun. So, but then going oh man, I should try to be even more efficient. That's kind of a cool challenge. It's interesting. But yeah, I would love to chat about that more. But Perfect. Well, uh, thank you so much for joining the podcast or the interview. I, I don't know what to really call this, like these shows yet. I got I got a list of people that do want to do interviews and stuff like that. So I'm not sure if it's a podcast interview. Thanks for joining me. Absolutely. Um, hey, my pleasure. And it was a fun chat. It was an awesome chat. Perfect. And uh, and so Wave the Pacifist is out now on PS4, Xbox One, and, and uh, Steam. I think, uh, if I recall, it's $15. Yeah, fourteen ninety nine US. Yeah. So depending on the storefront, it, it'll convert for Canadian. Perfect. 
Uh, and so it's out right now. Give it a shot. Uh, I'm about 60% through. I'm really enjoying it. Um, like I said, it's like a punch out mixed with Streets of Rage. Uh, so it's, it's right up there. Um, and Jason, thanks again, man. Hey, no, no problem at all. Glad to be here. Um, uh, yeah, I guess something we should do is any final like thoughts you want to say or anything like that about the game, about the fans, anything like that. Just that it's been amazing so far. Like, like we've been talking about trophies for so long. Like it is awesome to see people showing off their trophies. And not only that, like just like the age we're living in with streaming, with YouTube, just people sharing their combos, people sharing their achievements, like inside of the game. Like that's cool. And that's, that's kind of better than ever before for developers. Like you're getting that direct feedback. Just you're seeing exactly how they're enjoying it. Instead of just someone tweeting at you that they love it, which is always awesome. Instead of getting an email, which is awesome. Um, even the critiques, they're totally fair, but just seeing people like share their live experiences online is super awesome. And yeah, we're glad, we're glad to see it all. And, um, yeah, you can follow us, uh, household games at HH games, Inc. Uh, follow me at Jason Canham. And that's where we'll have the news when we're ready to make announcements. Like we'll be making them loud and proud from there. Perfect. And, uh, and we'll of course post them on tronagandes.com. So you can subscribe to this on, uh, iTunes, uh, I think I'll put this up on YouTube as well, but you can always go to TorontoGameDoes.com uh, to check out everything. So once again, Jason, thanks so much. Oh, absolutely. Thank, thank you for everything and keep up the good work. Thanks, man.